Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We are so glad that you are here. It is good to see some faces we haven't seen in a while. Uh, we are glad for folks who continue to work their way back. We are glad for the guests. Uh, those of you watching at home know that we love you and we're still praying for you. We hope you're still praying for us and joining us in the work that God is up to here at Chanel. If you haven't gotten boxes to bring food, uh, we are helping provide food to the Arkansas Food Bank. So we're doing uh, something a little different than we've done for the last 10 or 15 years, and that is the folks that were organizing the food, food drive we used to participate uh, in with, they are no longer doing that, so now we're working with the Arkansas Food Bank. So if you've noticed, it's a little bit different, and what we're asking for is a little different. That's why, but this is a worthy goal. It is an important time. A lot of folks who need food, uh, and the food bank needs our help, and so we're, we're honored to get to join in that. Ward family, thank you for participating. I know every time I ask a family to come up and their kids come up, we are, we are inviting a level of energy and activity that we don't normally see up here, and I love that, and I, I love that your kids participated, and uh, we, we appreciate you, you praying and, and reading Scripture for us. If you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12, and you'll find that on the screen behind me also. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right, honorable in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So a few weeks ago, an article popped up in my news feed that was a collection of tweets and Instagram posts by different people. And it was them telling stories about themselves, about a time when they felt like they had been wronged. And they, so they decided a little payback was in order. And I'm not going to read nearly all of that. Here's, here's just a sample I decided to share with you. My boyfriend cheated on me, so I convinced him to get matching tattoos. He went first, and I went home. My ex te te texted me last night and said she couldn't sleep. I told her to look up Isaiah 48 22. I don't have that memorized. I wonder what that says. There is no rest for the wicked. Okay. My neighbor keeps vacuuming his floor when I'm sleeping at night. I'm sure he went and had a very mature conversation. How did he handle it? I started vacuuming the ceiling as he sleeps at 3 a.m. All right. Once I went out to eat and got those fire barbecue beef ribs and brought the leftovers home, I dreamed about those ribs all night, and the next day, 
My roommate ate them. All right, we'll, we'll see what happens next. Four months passed. He forgot, but I didn't. Today, I ate his leftovers and put the empty box back, and you can see what the box says. Remember my leftover barbecue ribs? I do. Four months later, not to be outdone, my cousin punched my wall, left a hole, and started laughing. When he got his first house, I went over and punched a hole right in the wall. I waited 11 years to do that. 11 years. There is a famous scene in the movie Fried Green Tomatoes. It's, it's been out a long time now. Kathy Bates' character is at a grocery store. She's in the parking lot. She's looking for a place to park, and the parking lot is full. But finally, she sees someone is about to back out. And so she does what you do. You wait, and you put on your blinker, and, and you wait until that person pulls out. But right when he pulls out, two young girls in a convertible beetle, they whip in the parking spot from the other side. And Bates there, and they get out, and they start walking towards the store, and she kindly tells them, uh, excuse me, I was waiting for that spot. To which these young ladies say in a really cocky, dismissive tone, Face it, lady, we're younger and faster. And then they move on in toward the store. And Bates gets this look on her face like, I am not putting up with this anymore. And so she puts her, par her car in drive. And she rams into the back of the car. And then she backs up, and she does it again, and she does it again, and she does it again. And of course, it's making all kinds of noise. And those young ladies who were heading into the store come running back out, and they scream, What are you doing? To which Bates' character says, Face it, girls, I am older and have better insurance. And then she drives away. All right, I want you to complete this well-known saying, don't get mad, get. So my question to you is, how often does even feel even? How often do both feel even at the end of one getting even? I am one of three brothers. We loved each other growing up, but we had a lot of fights growing up. I'm the youngest of three brothers, which put me at a size disadvantage. And there were times when my brothers would do something to me that I did not like, and I wanted to retaliate. I wanted to do what they did to me in return. So if they hit me, I wanted to hit them. If they beamed a ball at me, I, I wanted to pick up a ball and I wanted to throw it back. If they said something I didn't like that hurt me, I wanted to say it back. And sometimes I did. I would wait for a strategic time to do it. But I knew well enough when I did where things would go next. So I would punch an arm, I would throw a ball, and then I would immediately turn and run away. And as I'm running away, I would scream, we're even, we're even. But for some reason, my brothers rarely saw it that way. 
even doesn't often feel even. I watch enough sports that I have seen just within the last few weeks quite a few fights break out on a football field, on a basketball court. And when you see that happen, you'll see one player do something to another. One player will shove another, and the other player will come back and shove that player. And then teammates from both sides will gather around. And let me ask you, sports fans, how many times do all those people gather in a circle of love and say, you know, you guys are even. He pushed you, you pushed him. I say we're all square. It doesn't work that way, does it? Because even really means escalation. Retaliation usually means escalation. So you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 38, Jesus quotes from Exodus 21, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. In fact, if you go back and look at Exodus 21, it's a long chapter with some uncomfortable situations that are thrown out. Hey, if this happens, then you can do this. And if this happens, then you can do that. And it is designed in some sort of legal sense for a feeling of being even. You hurt them, they hurt you. You messed up some property of theirs, then this is what compensation looks like. And it's designed with justice in mind, with fairness in mind. It's designed to end the escalation. If they take an eye, you can't take more than an eye. They take a tooth, you can't take more than a tooth. But Jesus knows the way things are twisted over time. That fair doesn't always feel fair that even doesn't always feel even. That retribution often leads to escalation. And so Jesus has something different in mind. He's absolutely committed to justice and fairness and a more equitable world. He's just not convinced that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth gets us there. And so he's got this radical idea in mind. And maybe you remember what he says. Here's something. Turn the other cheek. They take the outer garment, you give them the inner garment. They ask you to go one mile, you go the second mile. Which is not to say you become the punching bag in every relationship. You become the doormat in every relationship. He's talking with people who are relatively powerless, and he's giving them a way to empower them, but not escalate the situation. He's giving them a way to hold up a mirror to the ugliness of what the other person is doing or the way that the system is working. And in the process, he's giving a creative way to bring about peacemaking. And reconciliation, it's not to make things worse, it is to make things better. 
but not through retaliation, not through getting even. It's what we read from Romans 12 a little bit earlier. So you have heard me quote from Romans 12, 18 several times in this series, as far as it depends on you, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. But I want you to see the context now. Instead of returning evil for evil, instead of payback, instead of the escalation, I want you to go the other route. I want your actions to be actions of peacemaking and reconciliation. Return hate with love and cruelty with kindness. And like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you hold a mirror up to the other person so they see the ugliness of their ways. You start to bring change by flipping the script. But if we are to do that, if we are to live in those kind of peacemaking, reconciling ways, when we find ourselves in conflict, especially because we feel wrong, because we feel hurt, then there's an important ingredient that is going to have to be a part of that. And that is forgiveness. The ability to turn loose of the pain and what we hold over another and let them go, let things go forward so that there can be peace. Look at Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I want you to notice, first of all, that pattern of replacement. Yet we've already heard this morning, moving away from destructive behaviors is always easier when you find a replacement. You move toward something that is productive. In other words, it's a lot easier to move away from getting even if we're moving toward peace. It's a lot, a lot easier to get away from revenge if we are consciously moving toward reconciliation. And it's a lot easier to move away from all the corrosive and enslaving feelings that Paul started with, the bitterness and the rage and the anger and all the ways that comes out in harsh and slanderous words. It's a lot easier when we're moving toward kindness and love. But to get there, we're going to have to include forgiveness in the mix. And did you notice what he reminds us about forgiveness? It's something we heard last week. Very rarely in Scripture, when we are urged to forgive, are we urged to forgive because the offending party really deserves it? Have you noticed? That's not the lever that's pulled. You know, you really ought to forgive because they really deserve it. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Usually, when we feel wronged, the answer is they don't. But that's never the argument. 
The argument is, you forgive because what? Because God forgave you. You forgive in the manner that you were forgiven. Because we don't want to be like the unmerciful servant in that parable. One who is forgiven the equivalent of millions of dollars in debt and then immediately turns around and imprisons a fellow servant over a few bucks. We don't want to be that kind of person in that servant, in that, in that parable. We don't want to be Coach Nate. If you've received mercy, extend mercy, share mercy. We've experienced radical forgiveness. Give it, which is all well and good. But forgiveness is really hard. So I want to share one more passage with you. One of my favorite passages, not the first part. The first part is really hard. It's, it's the response of the disciples in just a minute. From Luke 17, starting in verse 3. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, they cross the line in how they treat you. They miss the mark of what you expect or hope for in the relationship. Rebuke them. Confront them like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Let them know. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Okay, so I just alluded to the parable of the unmerciful servant. That's from Matthew 18. And you may remember that what prompts Jesus to tell that parable is Peter asked, how many times do I need to forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? And Peter throws out the number seven. He thinks that's, that's pretty generous, and it is pretty generous. And Jesus replies in Matthew 18, not seven times, but 77 times 70, depending on the ancient manuscript that we're reading from. And that's when Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. But here in Luke 17, it's a little different story. Seven times someone sins against you, and there's seven moments of forgiveness. But do you notice what's different in this one? It all happens in one terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It's seven times in one day, Jesus says, forgive. And notice the response of the apostles. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry bush, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. I love that that response came after that instruction from Jesus. I would expect that if the disciples, if the apostles at some point after listening to something Jesus instructed were to say, increase our faith, it would come after a time when he said, go heal the sick. Hey, feed these thousands of people with a lunchbox of food. 
Peter, come, come walk on the water with me. You all go, go cast out some demons. That's when I would expect they would say, I don't have that kind of ability. I don't have that kind of power. I don't have that kind of faith. Increase my faith. What I find extraordinary is that the request is the kind of ordinary, everyday thing that all of us faces. Someone hurts us. Someone offends us. Someone wrongs us. Someone crosses the line. They miss the mark. They sin against us. And they feel bad enough at some point to come back and say, boy, I'm sorry. And you forgive. And then you rinse and repeat. And do that multiple times. As the old saying goes, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, and then a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh time in the same day, and we are throwing down, brother. I am not forgiving. Except that's what Jesus says. Seven times in one day, and you forgive. To which I say, Lord, increase my faith. To which Jesus says, amazingly, you know, it doesn't take much. Just the faith the size of a mustard seed. And this tree can be uprooted from the soil and replanted in the sea. And even more miraculous than that, you can find the power to forgive over and over and over and over and over. Have I got to seven overs? Because it's a lot of overs. You can forgive in ways that you never thought possible. Perhaps even more miraculous than walking on water. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom tells the story of how she and her family were imprisoned during World War II. Her family was from the Netherlands, but they began helping Jews that were trying to escape the Nazis. And they had someone build a hiding place in their house. And they started getting extra food and vouchers for extra food. And that's how they were eventually discovered was all the extra vouchers in their house because they had to collect all the food to feed all the Jews that they were trying to hide and then get off to some sort of safe place. And so Corey and her sister Betsy and her father were all sent to concentration camps. And only Corey survived. And when the war was over, she went around the world preaching a message of forgiveness and peacemaking. And here's what she writes. It was in a church service in Munich that I saw him. 
the former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of all our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men and the heaps of clothing. And he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that as you say, he washed my sins away. And his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. And I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened from my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not our forgiveness any more than it is our goodness that the world's healing on, on which the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. I have absolutely had those times when I have thought, I cannot forgive right now. I don't have it in me. Lord, increase my faith because I am drawing from an empty well. But I think Corey Tim Boom was on to something. When you are drawing from an empty well of forgiveness and love and mercy and grace, the problem is you're drawing from the wrong well. Dip into the ocean of God's loving mercy. Because we're never urged to forgive because the other person deserves it. The story we live, the story we sing, the story we pray, the story we rehearse every time we take communion the story that carries us forward is that we forgive 
because God forgave us.